Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Let's talk about drag for a second. Okay. So you know we bring drag queens to life every one of our main stage episodes. Right, we do. Because, um, right, we love writing drag queen names and, we and you know, drag king names. Right. I think we also just enjoy um, wordsmithing and pun making. We so, do. You we know, do. There's that. And we also love, uh, you know, drag as a performance. What right. it is. Right. It's very freeing. There, right. You know, there are a lot of elements to it that... Um, you know, are fun, but also very informative and really have a deep history beyond like our current culture. That's true. That's true. Drag in America. The reason that we have it as part of like American queer culture is because of the New York ball culture, Mm -hmm. which was established and led by black queer folks, many of them trans women. We wanted to just take a quick moment to make sure that people don't conflate uh, gender identity and drag performance. Right. Because um, drag is first and foremost a performance. Exactly. And like the root of the word drag, it comes from like a few different places. Sometimes they've t- they talk about like, like gowns dragging on the floor behind you. But one place that they say that it comes from is back when... Uh, Shakespeare was writing plays at the Globe Theater and women were not allowed to perform on stage and men had to play all the roles that a male actor who was playing a female character would uh, be dressed in drag and drag stood for dressed as girl. And so that is where like some say some scholars maintain that is the first time we saw that term perhaps like written down like in the, you know, on a page somewhere because that is uh, how Shakespeare used it. Yeah, which I was always so fascinated, like when you told me that story. And that makes a lot of sense, too, if you kind of think about having theatrical roots to it um, in some way, shape, or form, and especially in an environment where um, it was very much so geared towards one gender. So there had to be that kind of performance, and there had to be this dawning of a personality that was... Um, aside from the fact that it's theater, but donning the personality that was totally, uh, and a gender that was different from one's own. So, That's right. 
And the other thing is that drag is the performance that anyone can do, no matter your gender identity. Um, if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, you will often see gay men, but there have been many trans women who are also drag queens, because that is possible. Drag is a performance that you create on a stage. It is not a life that you live. Um, and so therefore, drag is available to anybody of any gender identification. Let's talk about Kathy Williams, or William Kathy, as we'll hear about later. But Kathy Williams is the only documented black woman to serve in the army in the 19th century. Um, and she's also the only known black female Buffalo soldier. And her story intersects with Fort Union National Monument in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Kathy Williams was born in 1844 in Independence, Missouri. Her mother was a slave and her father was a free man of color. As a child, she worked on the Johnson Plantation on the outskirts of Jefferson City, Missouri. It was in 1861 that the Union Army basically occupied Jefferson City in the early parts of the Civil War. And any slaves were basically ruled as contraband at this time. That meant that those slaves needed to become ancillary roles in the army. And that could be any sort of support role, which would include cooks, laundresses, or nurses. So it was a time where the status of being a slave was very rapidly changed because of the course of a war. So she worked as a cook, and also she uh, worked and did the laundry for the Union Army during this time and was able to travel all over uh, the country because of this service. And as part of this, she witnessed the Red River Campaign and also the Battle of Pea Ridge. Then, at 17 years old, she voluntarily enlisted. Now, there was a ban against women enlisting in the Union Army at this time, but she did it anyway. She entered under the name William Kathy, and she signed up for a three-year engagement, and she dressed and presented and passed off as a man, and she was assigned to the 38th U.S. Infantry. She would join the Army in 1866 um, into the 38th Regiment, which would later be known as the Buffalo Soldiers. The Buffalo Soldiers were an African-American regiment who mainly served on the Western Frontier, which directly followed the Civil War. In 1866, six all-black cavalry and infantry regiments were created after Congress passed the Army Organization Act. Their main tasks on the frontier were to help control Native Americans of the plains, capture cattle rustlers and thieves, protect settlers, stagecoaches, wagon trains, and railroad crews along the Western Front. There's not really a consensus as to why they were dubbed Buffalo Soldiers. Um, part of the consensus, part of the belief is that it was because of the Native Americans that they encountered. One theory as to why is that the Native Americans saw that they had fought very valiantly and fiercely and that they revered them as much as they did the mighty Buffalo. So during her time in the army, um, it's kind of a wonder that she wasn't discovered sooner for being uh, a woman. Typically, there was an exam, a medical exam of some sort for enlistment. But at the time, there wasn't any examination that would have been requiring a full body check. So it was totally missed that she was a woman upon enlistment. Uh, pretty 
immediately after enlisting, she gets smallpox and is hospitalized, is eventually able to rejoin her infantry in New Mexico. The incident of smallpox would not be her only hospitalization during her time in the army. She was actually frequently hospitalized. A lot of that could have been due to the fact that the effects of the smallpox were long lasting, could have also been the heat, all the years of marching that she was doing. But essentially, her body underwent a lot of strain during this time, and she was hospitalized again and again. During one of these hospitalizations, a surgeon finally discovered that she was a woman and informed the post commander, and she was honorably discharged in October of 1868. Here's the quote from Kathy around this time. She says, I got tired and wanted to get off or out of the army. I played sick, complained of pains in my side and rheumatism in my knees. She was discharged on the grounds of her disability. Apparently, she did have many. She was ill many times. She also claims to a faked illness to get out of serving in the army. This was a long time ago. Scholars maintain that, yes, her discharge was due to disability, though it may also have been because they found out that she was a woman and they didn't want to put on record that a woman had been a part of their regiment. So following her discharge, she basically goes back to a life that she had known, um, and that is working as a cook. So she works as a cook at Fort Union, New Mexico, which is now the Fort Union National Monument. And then after staying in New Mexico for a little bit of time, she does eventually move to Pueblo, Colorado. She at this time, while she's in Colorado, does get married. However, the marriage is not a successful one. It's not a happy one. Her husband steals from her, um, including her watch, $100, and a team of horses. This doesn't dismay her. She totally... Um, reports him and has him arrested. This really shows her independent spirit and how willing she is to kind of like buck the norms of society at the time and really not lay down for anybody. After the marriage ended, she basically returned to her independent lifestyle. Um, This is a direct quote from her. I've got a good sewing machine and I get washing to do and clothes to make. Um, I want to get along and not be a burden to any of my friends or my relatives. From here, Kathy Williams moved to Trinidad, Colorado, and she was living there as a seamstress. And this is the moment when the story of her service started to become public. There was a reporter from St. Louis who had heard through the grapevine some way that there was a black woman who had served in the U.S. Army, and he wanted to find out her story. So he eventually found his way to her in Colorado, and he interviewed her, and that is when they published her story of service in the St. Louis Times in January of 1876. In June of 1891, Kathy Williams applied for disability pension. She had a certificate from her honorable discharge that cited from the doctor that it was she was discharged due to disability. She was examined by a doctor hired by the pension office. She did suffer from neuralgia, also diabetes. Also, she had all of her toes amputated. And she walked with a crutch at this time. Um, and even despite all of that, her pension was denied. And it was cited that there was no disability whatsoever. And then later from there, her service in the army was deemed illegal. So therefore, <laughs> she was not able to collect military pension either. Wow. 
So let's talk a little bit about Fort Union National Monument. Fort Union actually is three forts or three stages of forts. Part of that, you know, National Monument status is because of the fact that this was such an important stronghold for the military for such a long period of time. Originally, it was established in 1851. The main purpose for it at this time was the Guardian of Santa Fe Trail. And the Santa Fe Trail was a really important overland trade route, which had been used for thousands of years by Native Americans, but was pivotal as trade began to head west for the Americas. Um, It was an important overland trade route for a lot of different reasons. The fort's main purpose at this time in the 1850s was to kind of secure that route and to make sure that anybody that was trading, anybody that was traveling was safe. Eventually, what happens is the fort is updated because of the Civil War. There are a lot of grand changes that happened because the Confederacy plotted to basically invade and capture the western portion of the Santa Fe Trail, which which would have included the prized trade routes of gold and silver that were running through California and Colorado. This potential threat caused the army to basically update the fort, build a new fort union in the valley to the east of the first initial structures. And this was a pretty grand fort in the grand scheme of things. So this second fort was an earthwork fort, essentially. And it is the only surviving earthen star fort, which is erected west of the Mississippi River. After the war, with basically New Mexico squarely in the hands of the Union, this large defensive fort was no longer necessary. So a third fort, which was the most substantial in the Fort Union site, was erected. Um, And it took about six years to complete. And It's at this point where we have the Buffalo Soldiers as a really integral part to the fort um, because they were charged with maintaining order basically on the frontier um, and Fort Union was their stronghold. Along the rest of the 19th century, um, the fort is used until about the 1890s where it's decommissioned and a lot of that has to do with the westward expansion of rail lines, which basically made the Santa Fe Trail obsolete. I think one of the main takeaways in the story of Kathy Williams is her resilience as a person and her ability to overcome so many barriers that were in her life as a black woman at the time. The thing that I take away from this story when I see it and why I feel it is so important to remember is because um, Kathy Williams made her way through a country and fought for a country that was not interested in protecting her, that was not interested in providing for her, uh, that in the beginning of her life enslaved her and forced her into work for the economic benefit of other people. And now she is remembered for all of these accomplishments in her life. But those steps that she took when she was alive were simply acts of survival and in service of living her own life. And while her story is a story of bravery and resilience, it is also indicative of a governmental system that was not built to benefit all of the people that it serves.
This has been Pride Mix by Gays at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to pride early and pride often. Resilience is always out there. Gays at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. For images from this episode, visit our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com and visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com, and that's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. All the information on this Pride Mix comes from the National Park Service, the Wounded Warrior Project, and Military.com.